Hello. Thank you for downloading this sermon by Pastor Casey Helenchek. Casey is a missionary pastor with Village Missions. Currently, Casey and his wife Hope and their six children serve the Bangor Community Church and the surrounding area of Bangor, California. Village Missions exists to glorify Jesus Christ by developing spiritually vital community churches in rural North America. We now invite you to open your Bibles and journey with us. All right, well, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Uh, Caleb is so happy we are out of chapter 9. He comes up every week as I'm prepping my sermon. He goes, what, what, you know, the kids all ask, what passage are we in this week? And I've been telling him, you know, still in chapter 9. He's like, still? We're still in chapter 9? So he was very excited this week to hear that we are now into chapter 10. Uh, As always, if you do not have a Bible or if you need one, please see me after the service and uh, I will get one to you. Uh, As we continue past chapter 9 into chapter 10 of Luke's gospel, uh, we see a renewed focus, a renewed uh, focus on Jesus's purpose. Uh, First, his overall number one purpose. Jesus came uh, to, to be crucified in Jerusalem. He that's the reason he left heaven, the reason he came down to earth Number one purpose uh, to do that, to save sinners, to to pay the debt of our sin. That's his number one primary reason for being here. Uh, And so he's focused on that and he's focused on getting to Jerusalem. Um, As we saw in chapter nine, uh, he set his eyes to Jerusalem at that that point. And uh, nothing's going to get in his way. Second off, we're going to see in these chapters is his second focus is, uh, in addition to making his way to Jerusalem, is focused on training and teaching the disciples to continue the ministry of preaching the kingdom of God after Jesus leaves them. Uh, and so that's what he's doing. He's heading, heading towards the end, heading to Jerusalem, and he's heading and he's focusing on teaching uh, the disciples what they need to know and training them in how they need to, to be. Uh, Over the next number of chapters, we're going to see some miracles and some signs and wonders, but not a lot, a lot fewer than we're used to seeing in the Gospels. And when we do see those miracles, uh, Jesus's focus is going to be not on the miracles themselves, not on the power as we've been seeing it, but on using them to teach and prepare the disciples. So we've already seen this as as Jesus has been calling people to follow him, uh, as we saw last week. Uh, He calls them to follow him and at the same time warns them about the obstacles and the difficulties that it will entail. Following Christ, following him the way he calls for us to follow him will require sacrifice and repentance and complete and total commitment. Jesus is upfront about that. And so not everybody wants to follow him. Uh, But we're going to go ahead and read this week's passage, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. I will be reading out of the English Standard Version. Please grab whichever version you prefer and follow along in your own Bible. Luke chapter 10, 1 through 16. The Holy Spirit inspires Luke to record. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. 
Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. May God bless the reading of his word. Uh, So we start off with after this. Last week, the last few verses of chapter 9, we saw Jesus calling people to follow him. And three different reasons and and instances of them not following him. Uh, Them choosing that it was too difficult, that there was too much commitment, that there was too much sacrifice required to follow Jesus. This week, we see Jesus sending out those who are following him. 72, or depending on your translation, 70 disciples sent out two by two. Uh, The number is significant for a few reasons, uh, and it doesn't make a difference if it's 70 or 72. But first, we see the same number back in Exodus 24 and and Numbers 11, referring to Moses and the other elders among the Israelites. Uh, This was a a number that would have been immediately recognizable uh, to those that were hearing uh, what Jesus was saying and what he was doing. Two by two is a biblical principle that goes all the way back as well. And so the disciples and the Jewish leaders of that day would have known instantly, would have gotten the references that Jesus was was making there. Now, the biggest reason that the numbers are so significant is because it matches the nations of the world that come about that we see listed in Genesis 10. Uh, The sons of Noah separated and and went out and populated the world. And these are the 70 nations uh, and it listed 70 nations there. So following biblical patterns, we see Jesus first send the 12 out to villages and towns of Israel, the beginning of chapter 9, 12 disciples for the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sends out 72 or 70 disciples out to every town and place he was going to go. 72 disciples sent out for the 72 nations of the world. Jesus came first to Israel, then to, then to the Gentiles. And that is a pattern that we see Uh, with these disciples and it's what we see the apostles do after the ascension they went first to the jews first to israel then to the gentiles to the nations of the world the good news the gospel salvation is for all people and all nations 
Whosoever believes, all who repent and trust in Christ by grace through faith. It is not a different message. It is not a different standing before God for the Jews first and then the Gentiles. But it is the same message, the same gospel, the same salvation through Christ brought and told first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, first to Israel, then equally to the nations of the world. And now we have no distinction. There is not Jew or Gentile. There, in terms of standing in salvation, there's no male or female, no slave or free, but all are one in Christ, one people of God. And so Jesus sends these disciples out, the number symbolic, but the mission literal. The mission uh, was, was the same, only expanded from what we saw in, in Luke chapter 9. Uh, they were going to go ahead to the towns and villages where Jesus was going to go, and they were going to prepare the way. They were going to make sure that food and lodging were available. They were going to make sure that Jesus and his followers would not overwhelm these small towns and villages as he came through. The other thing that these 72 show us is that the job of preparing the way for Jesus is not just a job to the apostles, but it was assigned to all of Jesus' followers. And the job today of preparing the way for Jesus' return is assigned to all of us as followers of Jesus. And Jesus tells them something we've all heard, but I don't think we think too much about. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, we know that, we can quote that, we've heard that before. But I think sometimes our instinct is to unknowingly think the opposite of that. And we can back that up with Bible verses too. Matthew 7, where Jesus tells us about the narrow path and the wide path. And so we assume that the laborers are plenty, but the harvest is few. We think that heaven won't be too crowded. We'll think that most people aren't really believers, and most people don't really know Christ. We look around the world around us, and, we, and it's understandable why we would think this. And like I said, we have the uh, Bible verses to back it up. The aforementioned Matthew 7, 13, and 14, for example. But as with many things that the Bible tells us, there is a balance. There is a middle ground, as if it were dependent on context when it comes to things like this. Now, of course, this is not to say that all things in the Bible require a middle ground or compromise. Who Jesus is, for example, uh, is not up for negotiation. There is no gray area there. There is no balance or middle ground. Uh, what salvation entails, how we, how we receive salvation, is very crystal clear in the Bible. There is no gray or middle ground there. But when we see the Bible say two things that could possibly seem contradictory, it just might mean that both of them are true, depending on the context in which they're said. So when we try to look at who we think is in and who we think is out, and we try to use the Bible to say, see, only a few people will make it, or if we use the Bible to try to say, see, almost everybody's going to make it. Well, we need to remember balance and context. There is a middle ground, and it depends on uh, the context when Jesus says what he says. Uh, one of the keys to remember is that it is Jesus who is Lord of the harvest. He is the only one that knows. In John's gospel, chapter 6, Jesus says that the Father is the one who sends them to Jesus and that all who come to Jesus will not be rejected. Jesus is the one who does the harvesting. 
but he uses us as laborers. So pray that he would send out laborers. And guess what? Each and every single one of us who follow Jesus are the laborers. Each and every single one of you as a disciple of Jesus is a laborer. 1 Corinthians 3 reminds us we plant, we water, we do the labor, but God brings the increase. He brings about the results. God could save people however he wanted. He could choose to snap his fingers and those he chose to save come up. He could choose to save through whoever walks through the door sideways on a Saturday into a building made of brick. Those are the ones that are saved. God could choose however he wants to save people. But he has revealed to us in his word how he has chosen to save. How he has chosen to bring salvation. People are saved by responding to the word of God by the grace of God with faith in Christ. Romans 10 verses 13 through 17 Paul writes, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom, him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Christ sends us out to spread the message, the good news of the gospel, to spread the word of God so that those who are ready to respond can hear the word of God and respond to the offer of salvation. He has laid out in his Bible, this is how, I, I, this is how salvation works. This is how I give salvation, is through responding to me by the hearing of my word. Well, that's not always easy for us to do, to go out and to, to share that message, to spread the good news. Society is opposed to the gospel message. They are uh, actively opposed to our broadcasting and spreading this message, the exclusivity of Christ, the repentance of sin, that sin exists. Uh, fundamental truths of the Bible uh, are, are actively against what society is, is trying to broadcast today. And so Jesus tells us, he sends us out as lambs among wolves. The Bible uses a lot of imagery of us being lambs, uh, including the need for a shepherd. The good shepherd being needed to keep his lambs safe and protected. But here's the other thing. We are not sent out as wolves among wolves. We are not to respond in kind to the actions of the world. We are to make sure that our tone and our demeanor are appropriate for the call that God has called us to. We are not allowed to respond with the same negativity, the same name calling, the same underhanded tactics as those who opposed us. We are not allowed to say, they started it, or they did it first, or I'm just doing what they're doing. That goes against the clear message of the Bible. The Bible is clear that the gospel message of salvation by Christ alone is offensive to those who don't believe. It is a stumbling block to the world. But it is just as clear that we are not to be offensive, and we are not to be stumbling blocks to the world around us. Jesus is the one who would be that stumbling block, who would be offensive. 
We are to simply uh, share the truth in love, as Paul puts it in Ephesians. Now, verse 4 shows Jesus giving instructions to the disciples before sending them out. And he is specifically speaking to our reliance on Christ alone for protection and for provision. He is not literally telling them to go out barefoot throughout the country or to not talk to anybody on their travels. He's emphasizing, I will give you what you need. You will rely on the generosity of the people you encounter. And this mission is to be done with haste. Doesn't mean you're walking past somebody you don't say hi or have a conversation. It means get off our rear ends and go. That's what Jesus is saying. And trust that I will take care of you. That's, that's what he's saying in verse 4 there. And once the disciples get to the towns or villages, they are to be a blessing and they are to bring peace to all who they come across. He says, and again, we saw this before when he sent out the 12, the beginning of Luke 9. He says that they are to stay in just one home in each town. Don't move from house to house within the community. Don't, ex- uh, don't try to keep moving into better accommodations. Accept the hospitality and the generosity of those who are giving it. Accept what is provided to you and be content with God's provisions. Jesus tells them to to go into those villages, those towns, to, to heal and to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the kingdom of God. Those towns that will accept that message, we are to share that message and to continually share it. He assures the disciples And he informs them so that they can pass along the message, the kingdom of God has come near you. This is not some ethereal hope for the distant future. This is not, well, I can do whatever I want now, and one day the kingdom of God will be a a thing. It is here and it is now. And now is the time to respond. The disciples are to lay this offer out to all that they encounter because today is the day of salvation. Many will hear and respond in faith, as as Jesus says. But he also tells them that many will reject you. He says that, he says they will reject you. And in doing so, they will reject me. Rejection hurts. I think we can all understand and affirm that. Especially something as, as valuable as the offer of salvation. Especially something as personal as somebody we get into that deep of a conversation with that we love enough to share that, that offer, uh, especially if it's someone close to us, family or friends or, or whoever. And if they reject that message, that hurts. That does. And it's going to hurt. Jesus shows us that even those that we don't know, that we are just, just offering because that's our job to do, that we are loving them by offering this, this message, that that rejection is going to hurt as well. And Jesus recognizes, because we saw, again, in, Matthew, in, in Luke 9.54, what did the, the disciples say they wanted to do to the Samaritan village? Jesus recognizes the disciples are going to want to call down fire on those who reject the message of salvation. And again, he says, don't. He says, shake the dust off your sandals and move on. This was, again, a symbolic gesture done by the Jewish people when they come from a place uh, outside of Israel back into Israel. They shake off the dust because that was not from the people of God. And so Jesus is saying that those who reject Christ and his messengers, specifically the salvation message, they are not a part of the people of God. 
Nevertheless, even if the message is rejected, the kingdom of God has still drawn near. Rejecting it and disbelieving it does not make it not true. Christ is still in control. He is still sovereign. He is still on his throne. You don't have to believe it for it to be true. People rejecting God does not make him not God. It does not limit his power. It does not affect his plans and it does not thwart his will. Bible makes it clear in multiple places that in the end, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For those of us who accept Christ now, who become, who are right now a part of his kingdom, it will be a great time for us. We will be in glory, uh, in heaven, in the kingdom of God, in the presence of of God, pure and unfiltered and unstained by sin. The greatest, the biggest, the worst, the sin that will incur the greatest wrath of God, however, the sin that will incur the worst judgment from God is the continual, unrepentant, unbelief and rejection of his son, Jesus Christ. For those who reject him, They will still acknowledge him in the end. They will still bow their knee and confess with their tongue, but it will not be good for them. Jesus says it will have been better for Sodom than for those who reject Christ. And Jesus, I think this is important context to have. Jesus is saying this while focusing on his upcoming crucifixion and and bearing the wrath of God. He knows what he's going to have to go through. He's going to feel God's wrath, all of God's wrath for our sins. And, and I think that's part of, part of this is to make sure that we don't underestimate how deep and how complete the wrath of God is. His judgment and his justice will be perfect and they will be complete. Sin will not receive a slap on the wrist. Sin will be dealt with and will, will be dealt with harshly. But those who are covered in the blood of Christ who have accepted the salvation message, who are a part of the kingdom of God, our sins have been washed clean. As as we sang, Jesus paid it all. The crimson stain is white as snow. Our sins were already dealt with by Jesus on the cross. So for those of us who are followers of Christ, who have accepted that message, we get there and we won't have to deal with, with the punishment of sin, we will get to go straight into worshiping and the presence of God. Jesus continues, woe, woe to those who reject Christ. Woe to those who continue in their unrepentant sins, their worldly ways and their lifestyles. In verse 16, Jesus tells them to reject the message of God's messengers is to reject Christ himself. To reject Christ to reject the scriptures, to reject the word of God, to reject the living word, the word incarnate, Jesus Christ, the son of God himself, is to reject God himself. The key to all of this is that the kingdom of God has come near. Again, not some distant hope, not something that we don't have to worry about right now, not something that doesn't demand anything of us right now, but it is here and now. We live today saved by faith, committed to Christ, repenting of our sins, empowered by the Holy Spirit to grow, to be sanctified, and to produce fruit. We are commissioned 
All believers are commissioned to go and make disciples and to share the coming kingdom of God, sharing the good news of the gospel. We pray that God will send us and others out as laborers because the harvest is plenty. God has prepared those to hear the word of God and to respond by faith to become a part of his kingdom. And he has called us to go out and share the word so that they can respond. I, I read this and I, I am hearkened back to Ezekiel uh, in chapter 33. Uh, the, the watchman, as, as God shares with Ezekiel, verses 2 through 6, the message God shares through Ezekiel, says, If I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the, blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken the warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming, does not blow the trumpet, so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any of them. The person is, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. We are the watchmen. We are to blow the trumpet, to sound the coming of the Lord. We are to share. The sword is coming. The good news is that we get to avoid the wrath of God because Jesus already took it. But for those who haven't accepted Christ, that sword is coming. And we are to blow that trumpet loud so that they know what is coming. And at that point, we are the watchmen. We are the laborers. We are disciples sent out to prepare the way. We share the good news. We bring peace and blessings to all we encounter. We go out as lambs among wolves. And we offer the message of salvation, the word of God, which teaches that salvation from punishment for our sins is exclusively through the blood of Jesus Christ. We plant and we water. But after that, we shake the dust from our hands. After that, we do, after we have done what God has called us to do, then it's in God's hands. Then it's in his hands. He brings the increase. He turns hearts from stone to flesh. He brings people from blindness to sight. He allows people to respond by faith in this message. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Our job is to go and share that message, to proclaim salvation, and it is God's job to allow people to respond to it. And so I've shared this many times before. I'm not an outgoing person. It's not easy for me to make small talk a lot of times. And it's definitely not easy for me to get up in front of people. But guess what? God has called me to do so. And so I do my best to do so. We are all called to go. We're not all called to do it the same way. We're not all called to get up in front of people. But we are all called to share the message of salvation with those around us and those we encounter. I've shared these both before, but I'm going to leave you with two Charles Spurgeon quotes about sharing the gospel with all. The first one, 
uh, is one of my favorites. It's a, it's a little bit funny. He goes, if the Lord had put a yellow stripe down the backs of the elect, I'd go up and down the street lifting up shirt tails, finding out who had the yellow stripe, and then I'd give them the gospel. But God didn't do it that way. He told me to preach the gospel to every creature that whosoever will may come. And then, and this one should hit us hard and remind us what we are to do. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. We need to sound the trumpets and share the gospel and to pray that the gospel is received with open ears and a changed heart. And then we trust God to sort it out from there. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a good and merciful and just and perfect God. That you have given us a way for forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you that you showed us love and that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. You took the wrath of God off of us, the punishment for sins off of us, and took it upon yourself so that all who believe in you may have everlasting life. Lord, we pray that you would help us to go and be faithful laborers, faithful watchmen sounding the trumpets, spreading the seeds of the gospel planting and watering. Lord, we pray that you would bring laborers to send forth because the harvest is plentiful. Lord, we thank you for all you have done for us. We pray that you would help those who don't know you right now have open ears and an open heart to see the truth of your word and help us to play a role in that. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Bangor Community Church. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash B-A-N-G-O-R Community Church C-A, all one word. If you would like to connect with Pastor Casey, please hop on over to caseyhelenchuk.com. That's C-A-S-E-Y-H-O-L-E-N-C-I-K.com. Thank you and God bless. Thank you again for listening and joining us on our journey through God's word. If you've listened this far and believe in our ministry or us as a family, please consider partnering with us. We would be honored to know that you are praying with and for us. If you feel compelled to give through financial support, information on how and where to give can be found at caseyholanchik.com slash giving. Thank you and God bless.